You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He, over there, in the same room as me, is my work wife, James Hardigan. We're together again. Yeah, I'm in London. What day is it? What year is it? <laughs> Who commutes to fucking London? I'm not even an international businessman. What am I doing? Uh, Joe, I'd say that pretty much everyone in the southeast of England commutes to London. Oh, and one hairy yes, fellow sorry. from Los Angeles. I meant people who from Los Angeles commutes to London. <laughs> it's very inefficient. Coming up on today's show, it has been an interesting week, my baby, since, uh, since we last spoke. I played on Live at the Bike. I did commentary at Live at the Bike. I did a super secret stand-up show. I did a less super secret stand-up show, but no one showed up. I did a top secret stand-up show. Uh, we'll be talking about all that in just a minute. Chris Moneymaker, huh? He's almost relevant in poker again. Basically, Moneymaker has developed a winning strategy, which is to only play events with a buy-in less than $100. Yes, and he keeps getting uh, finishing and... A high up in something called the Moneymaker Tour conspiracy, probably. A second and a third place finish on his own tour. Yes, we need to investigate that later on. More on that later. We've had our... Penultimate. That's right. Poker in the Ears podcast, Platinum Pass, Ass Path, Cash Grab. We get to hear all about that... Today. Penultimate game today. And speaking of Platinum Passes, we got one of the first... PSPC package winners here on the show with us today, Maria Konnikova. She's been all over the TV shows that have been airing on TV and YouTube lately, which means we're recapping, which means, bam, we got her on the show. She's an interesting young person. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. And finally, I was forced to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Jonathan Eager? Eager. Jonathan Eager is challenging me to a trivia quiz, and I will reserve comment on that movie until later. Okay. Because I got so much I want to tell you guys about. First of all, the shared lounge. I flew from McCarran to Gatwick. Vegas. From Vegas to Gatwick, and the shared lounge there okay. is fucking horrific. Two things to say on this. First of all, I agree with you 100%. It's horrible. But second... They redid it, by the way. Joe, this is such a fucking first world problem. Oh, the, uh, the, you know, the first I, class dude, lounge at McCarran. No, 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 because you don't even... It is a first world problem, but when you hear what I went through there, first of all, I'm reluctant to say this because I love England very much, but the people that fly from Vegas to Gatwick are a fucking whole different breed I of have English been person. on that flight so many times when they have run out of booze on the plane within an hour of taking off. It is. They're fucking animals. <laughs> and the weird thing is... They're all like in designer shit. It's like it's like the Jersey Shore, but English people. It's fucking bizarre. So there's that. They had this old battle axe of a bartender working <laughs> in the lounge. And she was, this is in the international terminal. She was the least worldly international person I've ever seen. But it's one of those airports where the domestic terminal is so much bigger and so much better and more advanced than the international terminal. And the people terminal. are nice. There are so few international flights coming into Vegas. Yes, and this woman was like, she couldn't understand. She was like, what? What? She couldn't understand anybody. They couldn't pick. She turned away someone who ordered a Long Island iced tea because I'm sorry we don't have any tea. She was the worst oh, wow. fucking bartender oh, I've wow. ever seen in my life. Now, the reason I really hated this place 
was because they almost made me miss my flight. This is so weird. The only time I have ever nearly missed a flight was coming back from Vegas to London Gatwick. Yeah. They never called the fucking flight. I said, I checked in. They go, we'll announce your they, flight they when say it's boarding. That. And they then, say, we'll announce it. There was no announcement. And then it's like rushing me onto the plane as they're literally like pulling the bloody gate yes, away. Yes, not only no announcement. But I went back and checked, and I said, you guys are definitely going to announce it, right? Because it oh, feels like you should wow. have announced it by now. And they said, nope, it it's hasn't started clearly, boarding yet. It's clearly an ongoing thing with this lounge. And I went back a second time, and I said, my flight's at 3.30, and it's 3.05. Are you sure the flight isn't boarding? And they're like, nope, we'll come get you. Then some fucking asshole came and sat down next to me at the bar and was having an obnoxiously loud phone conversation. So I went to the back of the lounge. Two minutes later, this girl comes around, Mr. Stapleton, Mr. Stapleton. I'm like... Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking for you. Your flight's leaving. And I was like, I fucking been out and asked you guys five times. <laughs> Sorry. Why was I in Vegas? That was going to be my next question. Why was I in Vegas? <laughs> because about five months ago, this dude wrote to me on Facebook and said, hey, will you come to my w- wife's surprise birthday party in Vegas? It really mean a lot to her. And I go, look, I, I, you know, and he goes, no, no, no. What do I have to do to get you like to commit to going? And I was like, look. If you really want me to make a specific trip to Vegas, he goes, I want you to come do stand-up. If you really want me to commit to a trip to Vegas, you got to pay me. Like, I can't go to Vegas to go to a stranger's birthday party. Sure. And he goes, okay, no problem. I'll pay you. Uh, and he goes, I'll tell you what. I'll pay you. Why don't you bring a couple of comedian friends with you? I'll get you a hotel room at the Aria, and uh, you can put on a little comedy show. So the guy, I'm going to be full disclosure because it makes the, the story funnier. The guy says he's going to give me 500 bucks. I'm like, that's fair, like, for... The fact that I'm going to have to go spend a, a day and a night out there and get some other comedians to come. So I hire uh, an, a friend of mine. I go, look, if you drive, I'll give you 200 bucks. He So 100 bucks for your travel time, 100 bucks perform. I grabbed another comedian from L.A., another comedian from Vegas. Uh, so I ended up paying out $350 of the 500, keep 150 myself, spend $700 on a sound system. I was like, I can't. Go to the, a hotel room. First of all, it's kind of I'm awkward. just waiting, by the way, for the expenses to keep racking up until Joe's out of pocket. Because you just know- I'm already out of pocket. I spent 700 on the sound system. Oh, of course, because you- I'm out of pocket 550 now. <laughs> Not to mention, like, the various other expenses that come along with a weekend in Vegas, including a solo trip to the Aria Buffet the next day when I was kicked out of my hotel and I had oh, nowhere to go. wow. $63 at the Aria Buffet. I text Daniel, and I'm like, hey, man, like- I don't really have a hotel room. What what are you up to? You want to hang out? He's like, sorry, dude, I'm watching hockey. <laughs> so I just went to the Aria Buffet by myself because I had a second. Anyway, the first show goes great. He was so happy. That's it, cool. It could have been an awkward situation. There was about 30 people in this suite at the Aria. Unfortunately, my set got cut short. First of all, all the comedians I brought crushed it. They were great. I brought like a character act. and a, and a So the headline act had his set cut short. By security. No. Yeah, security showed up right as I was getting. Is to that like because my... they overheard the sound system? Correct. And they go, no more PA system. It's amazing. So basically, you used a PA system that set you back $700 and ultimately led to your untimely demise. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, was this the thing that Andrew Nimi was meant to be at? Yes, and he was there. Oh, and okay. I got to meet his fiance, Boosie. Uh, yeah, so it, it, all in all, the, the guy who hired us and his wife were super happy. He was like, I, it was the best money I ever spent. Uh, which was good. That's what it was important to me. Was that the guy? If the guy's well, spending five hundred bucks, I so he did to be a happy. second stand-up show in Vegas. So the next day, I had been in conversation with this burlesque dancer who was looking for a comedian to MC her burlesque show, comedy and burlesque show. And all I will say is that 
she's a black lady, and I was the only white guy in the entire room. And I will just say this. This urban Las Vegas audience full of black people didn't exactly always resonate with my jokes about Star Wars and almond milk. Um, and then you had a stand-up show here in London yes, last night, last which was night. top secret, literally, because it was at the top secret comedy Correct. club, which is not actually top secret. And James came, yes. and I'll let him talk about the night, because was, I've done I enough say, talking. Well, first of all, I arrived and um, was stuck in a massively long queue, because bizarre. Because Eddie Izzard yeah, was playing upstairs. This is, the place, so this is the place you were at like a few weeks back, where you discovered there's an upstairs and a downstairs, and the acts do both floors, but yeah. not last night. Last night, Eddie Izzard's playing the top floor. You're with some other comedians in the, in the basement, but What's interesting here is there's a massive queue of people and of course discovering that Eddie Izzard sold out, if you're there and you know you've 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 figured I want to see some comedy, people were coming downstairs. It was absolutely packed. I was like, wow, this is like legit. It was this the first show I ever did where the guy who hired me said, You don't have to promote, we're usually full most nights. Yeah, I to be honest with you, and this is awful, if I had not dropped your name and basically had a kind of Jimmy the Bastard hissy fit, I might not have got it. A bunch in. of people went through the same thing, and I'm sorry I didn't realize it was going to be that packed that night. I saw that it has massive but, capacity. But that's that, That's a good thing. Um, and obviously, you did get support from various friends and poker fans yeah. and podcast listeners. What's his name was there? Chris, uh, Chris Waltham, Waltham was there. there yeah. Azifo, the poker tourist, turned out. Um, now, now, I, Amaro from, Amar from our Monday night game was there. Fantastic. But I have a... I have Sasha. a strategy on how to spot <laughs> a stapes stalker. And this is my slightly unfair moniker for fans of Joe's. Because it's alliterative. It's not because I genuinely believe they're stalking him. Although, if anyone's going to get killed by one of his fans, it's Joe Stapleton. Um, so there was another comedian performing, <laughs> a lady, and she was doing a piece about dick pics. And this blonde woman in the front row just shouts out loudly, I like dick pics. And sure enough, she was. She is one of my best friends actually. Just, it, it was obvious <laughs> she yeah. had to be a state stalker now both she and someone else in the audience uh afterwards said that i seemed nervous at first you did seem nervous really yeah, i don't remember nervous. being nervous i having seen you a few times yeah and seen you in an environment which is maybe a bit less formal uh, um, amongst more people you know yeah yeah don't get me wrong i thought you were great as you always are um, but at first, yeah, you you definitely had a kind of like interesting. I yeah. don't really remember being nervous. I will say that I it was probably the first set I've done in a long time <clears throat> where I felt like I nailed everything. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I did not forget anything. I didn't really stumble at all. I had to dash off shortly after your act, and when I spoke to you as I left, you were kind of like um, had a bit of a kind of you were a bit confused about the fact that your I set was, got I cut was short. Yeah, because what happened is so the way it works in comedy clubs is they sh they give you a light. And usually they're pretty clear about how long you have after the light. And so right. I said to the guy, "What? What's the, what's the status here?" He goes, "How many minutes do you get?" And I was tempted to lie and say twelve because that's what I really wanted. But uh, I go, "I get ten minutes." He goes, well, "Do you want me to light you at eight or at nine? I go, "Light me at nine. So I'm up on, and I, for the first time in a long time, had rehearsed my set multiple times yesterday afternoon. I almost never rehearse. And I was like, I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah. And I timed it. And it was like 10 minutes on the dot. So I'm up on stage. I'm the only thing. And I have two bits left to go. And he shines the light at me. And I'm like, shit. I guess I must have just didn't take into account time for laughter or just some yep. more natural pauses. So I cut one of the bits, did one last bit, got off the stage. I got off the stage. Look at the video. I was on stage for eight and a half minutes total. So he must have lit me at eight minutes instead of at nine minutes, which is just frustrating because I had a specific flow 
and crescendo kind of thing to my set, and I was a little pissed off. Even still, even without that, I I would still it was one of my better performances. It was very very good, and I think you went down very well with the crowd there. Um, did you manage to get to the Hippodrome afterwards? Obviously, I'd love I would love to have come and played poker, but I had to get home. No, so I I dropped a sif off of the hip, Hippodrome, but before that, we went to the bar across the street, <clears throat> and Sasha, one of the super fans who is there, was like, "There's a poker game actually happening above this pub right now. Come up and play." And when I got I went up there, I was like, "Sure, why not? I'll come up." And when I went up there, uh, like there was like four or five people playing. They were playing shorthanded, and four of them knew who I was and were like, <gasps> "What? What? 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 What?" And the one person who didn't was the woman running the game, and she was like, "Sorry, we're done." And everyone was really disappointed that oh, I couldn't wow. play with them. And I was fine with it. I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem. Like, no big deal, no big deal." And everyone like kept looking at me like, "Aren't you gonna?" Aren't you gonna be like? Don't don't you know who I am? Like, don't you want to play poker with me? But I really didn't want to play poker, so I was like, Ah, it's cool. Have a good night, everybody. And I went home. Oh, I had a McDonald's. I had a fillet of fish. That's a fascinating. That was my after party. Um, you did get to play poker on the uh, live Live at the bike, playing way above my bankroll. I took out. Please tell me you didn't lose it all. I took out two thousand dollars. Um. And well, when I say above my bankroll, that's because my bankroll's zero. I don't have a poker bankroll, so I had to like over the course of multiple days, take money out of the ATM because I can only get $500 out at a time. Um, so I, I, I bought in for 500 though, and uh, called the guy down with ace high, like in the first couple hands, and I was like, okay. I was up to like 650. I was like, here we go. Same guy, like two hands later. I flop a flush draw uh, with king, queen of diamonds. It's two diamonds on the board, like a seven high board or something. Turns a queen. The guy bets into me. No, I continuation bet on the uh, the diamond board, and the guy raises me. I call, turns a queen. I'm like, I'm never folding, so I just move all in. He's got a set. He has a set of sixes. River's a queen. It's a cash game, too, and I hate in cash games people don't table their hands right away. You yeah. gotta wait till after the fucking river. I always table my hand I do, too, but then I feel stupid when they don't. No, I just think you're being an asshole. If you don't table your hand in a cash game, you're just being an asshole. It's just it's so standard. I no one does it in cash games. They don't turn their hands over until after the river's done. No, the people who don't reason. do it are assholes. Okay, well, especially uh, on a fucking live stream. Come on. So I got felted there. Bought back in for five hundred. Basically, long story short, I ended up down ninety five dollars when all is said and done. Okay, in the grand the scheme of things, yes. that's not that bad. And I made some good connections there. I met some nice people, uh, so that was good. I did uh, commentary the next day on live at the bike, which is far less interesting. <laughs> than actually playing on the show. Uh, I wanted to talk movies real quick. Okay, very quickly, because we got poker news to yes, get to this we week. we do have poker news. I watched a movie on the plane on the way over here called Unsane, and it's the new Steven Soderbergh movie, and I just have to say, he's so fucking good. Every one of even if I'm not interested in his movies, it doesn't sound interesting. I watch it, and I'm like, yeah, that was I, really I good. I remember how bitterly disappointed we all were when he officially retired, and then fortunately, five years later, he unretired. I th isn't this insane, the one he shot on an iPhone, like 100%? Really? I, I think so, yeah. I, I knew he was doing that. I didn't know this was the one. I think that's it. And then the one he did before that with like Channing Tatum and the girl from the dragon tattoo. Uh, Logan Lucky? No, that one was good, too. Love that. I was like my second favorite movie of last year. Uh, but the one before that, like the, oh, the medical side drama. Side effects. Another movie that I'm like, read the description. No, of, like, it's really good. So good. So anyway, Unsane's awesome. Very good. And I started watching a show on Netflix called Homecoming. No relation to Spider-Man. No, it's Julia Roberts. Okay. On TV. On wow. TV, James. 
Uh, yeah, and then we'll talk 2001 later in the show. Okay, let's get to the latest news headlines from the world of poker. What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for Poker in the Ears news. And we start with the conspiracy theory that something is amiss <laughs> on the U.S. poker circuit. Chris Moneymaker racks up a series of results on the... Yeah, he's killing it. Chris Moneymaker took. <laughs> he is 7 for 11 in cashes. And what happened in the last two events, or two of the most recent events, the event in Arizona at the Talking Stick Resort, they did a 13-way chop. That is fantastic. Which saw Chris what a dream. get third place money and then basically leave the tournament so everyone else could then play it out for the Platinum Pass. The Platinum Pass was eventually won by a guy called Firkin Beg. Hey, if you run a pat Platinum Pass, you better Firkin Beg. And <laughs> at the Seminole Hard Rock, Moneymaker got heads up. I heard. I know. Now, I think he... So the great thing is, Andres Risquez, who we got heads up against, he knows he's getting the he's platinum get, pass he's either got way. It but up. he actually won it fair and square. Moneymaker was officially the second place finisher. So yeah, more great results for Moneymaker. While we're on the subject of platinum passes for your asses, congratulations to Canadian player Andre Yeo Nine. <laughs> who won the PCA 2018 TV viewers PSPC free roll. This is a guy who is a big fan of our shows. Andre Grinchenko, originally from Ukraine, now lives in Canada, has played a few live events, has some scores. He's got a hand in my page. Is thrilled to be coming to the Bahamas because he now has a platinum pass. And he didn't have to defeat that bigger field. We told you people that there was this information in the PCA TV shows. I know. What was wrong with you guys? If you'd watched the shows on YouTube or PSTV, there were four parts of the password. We gave you the date and the time. Fewer than 200 people showed up on the night. Um, and finally, a couple of things that happened last week that we didn't get time to mention. Fusion has gone live in the PokerStars client. This is the latest new innovation, which is a kind of mix of Omaha and Hold'em. And my take on this game is that this is the one that everyone likes, but everyone fucking hates the name. So I don't like the of, name. Lots of people have been coming up with suggestions for alternative names, including Joe Stapleton. Oh yeah, I can't remember any of them now. Is it worth? Is it worth reading some of that? What's I it? think my favorite suggestion. I can't even remember. Omaha, hold a hold a ha. I think Omaha is the my favorite suggestion I've, ha I've heard. I think so that far. was not one of mine, but. Uh, and the other game that is now live, and, and granted, this is only if you have a, an Oculus Rift. This is PokerStars VR. And I know a few people have asked if there's any plans to bring this to PlayStation VR anytime soon. I don't know the answer to that question. It's a play money version of PokerStars, but it's more about the experience of playing in these virtual rooms against virtual players. Question about the yes. VR, because you've played it. I have played it, and it's enormous fun. The issue I have with it, and I noticed that a few people like Spraggy have been streaming it, yeah. and there have been also some like there's some videos. Spraggy's got a goddamn Oculus. I think they may have given him one for the purpose of. Uh, Unfucking believe. If it's play money, I live in America. I can stream an Oculus. It's great fun to play. To watch, I struggle because when you're in that experience, it's fine. But watching that first-person perspective yeah. of someone else in the VR universe. It makes me feel sick. It gets you a little, because you're not controlling it. No, so absolutely. Yeah, it's like, you're a passenger. Yeah, so even though you need a lot of expensive kit to play this game, it's definitely something you want to experience as a player rather than a viewer. So my question is, mm. because I struggle with this in real life, so I can only imagine if you have to do it in VR, do you have to stack the chips? Yeah, with your, you've got the kind of like controller, which is... 
Cause I knock, I can't stack chips in real life. I realize I have no idea to do it. I play so little live poker that every time I stack chips, I end up knocking them over. Well, it's even harder in this game because you've right. got like the little rubber duck, you've got your coconut cocktail, <laughs> you've got your champagne bottle that you're going to throw at the guy across the table any moment now. You know, your desk is just. If you throw it at him, does it buzz his helmet? If you hit him, it de it definitely shatters. <clears throat> okay, we got to build that in like a little. Eat. Uh, Joe, hit the TV recap button. Do we have one of those? TV recap. Because right now we are discussing the PCA 2018 main event TV shows, specifically episodes four and five. The former being the post-bubble bust-out bonanza. Episode five was the first half of day four. And this is where the theme of the series changes. Because we've been focusing over the first few shows on the amateur players. We had people like Charles Modesto. Qualifiers. We had people like Mo the Destroyer and Gleda B. Brito. But now, at this point, we do see the pros start to dominate and players like David Peters really come into their own. And sadly, we lose a lot of faces that we've been following uh, from day two. Players like the Oceans, players like Gleda B. Brito. And sadly, Gleda be here, everybody. Gleda be here. we lose Maria Konnikova. And Maria was a huge part of the PCA. Um, partly because of her victory in the national championship and also her deep run in the main event. We cover her story in great detail in the show. She is a writer for The New Yorker. She's a psychologist. She's also an author who is researching a book about poker. Only started playing the game a few months ago under the tutelage of Eric Seidel. I'm thrilled to say that Maria is the guest on this week's podcast. So we say welcome to Poker in the Ears, Maria Konnikova. Hi, Maria. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I fear what we're doing here is a big ask because we're asking you to think back to January of 2018, which is a whole <laughs> 10 months ago. She's a writer. She wrote it down. She remembers. Of course. Of course. It was all material. It was all fodder for the book. Because the weird thing is, Maria, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your conversations with Eric Seidel and other poker players, they have this insane ridiculous ability to remember the specifics of hands they've played years ago, let alone months ago, which us mere mortals don't no. have. Unless yeah. we use the notes on our iPhone, we're screwed when even it comes with to hand the notes, histories. I'm like, what does this note even mean? <laughs> Luckily, I keep really good iPhone notes so that I could fake it because Eric does surprise me all the time. He's like, oh, you know, I think that was three years ago. <laughs> and I believe that I had King 8 offsuit and I decided to four bet because he was just three betting too much. And I'm like, whoa, Eric, you're four betting King 8 offsuit. <laughs> Yes. And and yes, and yes. Um but I do I do remember some of the hands. It was actually quite funny because um the PCA was airing the last few weeks on TV yeah. and um Daryl Kearney actually sent me a screenshot of me tanking and it said what the board was and I said, Oh my god, that's the board when I had Ace Jack and I didn't know whether or not to call and the guy ended up having just complete air queen deuce offsuit for nothing. Um, and I ended up calling for my tournament life, and I remembered that hand so well. Um, and all he sent me was that one screenshot. So well, those are the ones you remember, right? Where yes. where you made the big call when you got it right. You remember we getting it wrong, also. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. I, I definitely remember those when I'm like, you know what? You don't have it. I call, and then they flip over the nuts, and you're like, oh shit. You're like, oh, you had it really hard. <laughs> like you so had it. Yep, and um, there goes my psychology read and my so-called quote-unquote edge. It has edged me right out of the tournament room. Now, of course, the PCA was almost an insane experience for you. The early win in the national championship, one of the first ever Platinum Pass winners, a deep run in the main event. And at this point, you're thinking, I've got an ending for the book! <laughs> 
That's exactly right. And then, of course, a few weeks later, I'm on a plane to Macau. Um, so, so that was uh, it. Was one of these things where it was an insane month. And then Macau was actually crazy. I had two final tables that week. Ended up coming in second in a tournament for almost 60k. Um, so it was just it was just a really just crazy beginning of the year. See, Joe's rolling his eyes, Maria, and it's not because. He is sad that you're enjoying the success. He's not jealous. He's just incredibly bitter. No, I, I am jealous. I'm not. I mean, I don't want. I want Maria to be as successful as she can be. I don't want to take that away from her. But the fact that, like, I occasionally get free rolled into things. I occasionally play poker tournaments, and I'm not the worst poker player in the world. I can't even min cash. And you're just like, hey, what's up? I've been playing poker for a day. I'm just gonna final table a bunch of a bunch of tournaments. Um, you know, I, but, but it wasn't the end of the book, obviously. And no. I, I ended up really dialing it up after that and saying, you know what, now I'm really going to take this seriously. And you, you realize that, you know, obviously you work incredibly hard. Um, and it's really wonderful to be validated, but then you have to get lucky as well. And, you know, I, it, those first few months were by far the most successful I've had this year. And then I had some months where, you know, I had just absolutely horrendous trips. I think when I left Monte Carlo this year, the um, EBT Monte Carlo, I think I was down over 30K. Um, so, you know, I took a few shots and that one did not go well. So there's definitely a lot of ups and downs, but in general, I've been really kind of happy with how everything's been going. I've had a few nice deep runs, um, but no more, no more wins, um, no more big wins after the PCA. Well, of course, the big one is still to come because I mentioned the Platinum Pass. That gets you into the Players' Championship, which yes. is going to be the pinnacle. I mean, it's a 25K. It's going to be probably the biggest high roller that's ever been held anywhere with a ridiculously huge prize pool. And that's what we're looking ahead to now. Yes. Um, and I'm so incredibly excited that I get to play. And obviously, I need to final table because that <laughs> would be a killer ending to the book. And I think everyone should just know that. Maybe you guys can help me out. Maybe we can just do an announcement at the beginning being like, hey, guys, um, Maria needs to final table this because it's going to be a really great ending to That's her That's the last so just... thing you want us to do. That will guarantee you go out in the first level. No, you see, I know poker players, and there'll be several people who'll be sitting down saying, right, percentage of sales. Um, right, let's talk yeah, about exactly. the commission on paperback. <laughs> Uh, movie rights, <laughs> options. That's that's how poker players are going to be thinking. It's like, how do I benefit from gifting you this title? Right, right. Except they're not going to gift it to me. I'm just going to take it. I like that attitude. Um, let's go back to the beginning, Maria. How did all yes. of this actually come about? Was it a case of poker? That's an interesting subject. I might want to investigate that. Or was it you played the game and thought, ah, there's a book in this? So it was, it was neither really. Um, it was skill versus chance. I want to investigate that. Okay. And I want to figure out if we can figure, if we can, if we can learn to tell the difference um, between skill and chance, the parts of our lives we can control, the parts we can't. And can we, can we learn to tell the difference and maximize skill and minimize our downside when we are in an environment that we can't control? And I was reading a lot um, to try to figure out how do I possibly write a book about these huge topics. And that's how I came across poker, because I was reading about game theory. Um, and 
I had no idea that game theory came out of poker, that John von Neumann was a huge poker player um, and actually crafted this entire theory that kind of revolutionized how we think about statistics and economics and mathematics in the 20th century, um, that he crafted it out of poker and he wanting to solve poker. So from reading that and from realizing how highly he thought of the game, he talks about you know, the fact that when he's at the negotiating table talking about nuclear nonproliferation, poker is what helps him the most. Um, and so I was like, this poker thing sounds pretty cool. Let me look into it. So then I started reading about poker, decided this is a book. And at this point, I have not played a single hand yet. Um, I don't really know anything about the game, except I've been reading about it. And it seems like it will be a really interesting experience and that it could make a book, you know, me kind of starting from scratch and learning and just tracking that journey. Then the next step was reaching out to Eric Seidel while figuring out who I want to reach out to. Eric was my first choice. Um, and I got very lucky that he agreed to go on this journey with me. And only then, after working with him for a little bit and doing some more reading, did I ever play my first ever hand of poker, which was at a charity poker tournament. I love all the analogies, by the way, when people say like, you know, how poker logic comes into a business negotiation or how you use it in everyday life. And I'm sitting there thinking when I lose with nines to ace queen and an all in flip, <laughs> what the fuck has this got to do with any kind of negotiation or treaty or business deal? What does this do? If this were nuclear non-proliferation, yeah. that nuke just went off. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? The bloody ace on the turn is what went off. Um, Maria, how, I'm, I, I apologize. I probably have more questions for you than I've ever had for any guest because I'm absolutely fascinated by all of this. And I know we won't get to the ball, so I'll just start with this one. How has your idea for the book evolved based on what you thought it was going to be and what it is now? And do you think that your running above expectation at poker might actually be a negative influence on the book considering you wanted to make it luck versus skill. So I think that the book definitely has changed a lot because I didn't know what it was going to be. It was always going to be a personal story, but it was going to be just kind of a year in poker. And it was going to work no matter how I did because the analogies um, theoretically hold no matter what. So in some ways it would have been a great book if I had done terribly. It would have been like, okay, you know, this is me trying to learn. These are all the things that are happening. This is all of the metaphor for life type of stuff that I want to throw in there. And, you know, it didn't go so well. End of story. Um, and you can make a good, you can make a good book out of that. Now, I think you can make a better book out of kind of this narrative of zero to actually running incredibly well, doing well, winning a major tournament, etc. Um, and, it's, it just becomes, it becomes different and it's become longer, obviously. It's become a much more involved narrative. And in some ways, the metaphor has deepened mm -hmm. because I've gained a much greater appreciation of the game. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm still playing and I've become much more dedicated to it, I mean, I could have never imagined that I would ever call myself a professional poker player. Let's just, let's just throw that out there. That's, to me, that was just kind of, it would have made me have a, hysterical fit if someone had told me that that would ever happen. So one of the reasons that I'm here and that I want to shout from the rooftops, everyone go and learn how to play poker, teach your five-year-old how to play poker because it's going to give him such a huge edge on life, is because the game has really opened up for me and it keeps getting more involved and more difficult and more strategically interesting. Um, so that's 
to kind of answer the last part of your question, did running above expectation, is that bad for the book? I don't think it is as long as I recognize that I'm running above expectation, which I absolutely do. I mean, there's no way in hell that, you know, my skill level is anywhere near some of the players that I play with. Um, and I've done my best and I've studied a lot and I try and I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly studying, but I've also run really well at some points. Um, and I think that that happens in life. So in some ways, when you're trying to disentangle skill from chance, it's good to have moments when you're running well and good to have moments when you're not running well, because that will help you actually separate out the process from the outcome. And the process is the skill part and the outcome, obviously, that's the luck part because you can't control, you know, what the river card is going to be or where did where did the ace come on the turn, what the turn card is going to be. Um, that's the part you can't control. And doing it over and over and seeing, oh, this is what happens when I play the same way and sometimes I win and sometimes I lose. And I didn't change the process. So that means that there's something else going on. There's something beyond me and I have to be okay with that. I have to make peace with that ace that busted my nines. Um, and I don't Stop want to make peace it with in. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make peace with that ace, honestly. No. As, it sucks to lose every single time that happens. So how confident are you now that the idea you have for what is going to be the beginning, middle, and end of this book is going to end up being that or that it won't change again <laughs> based on what happens in January or beyond? Well, so I'm pretty confident that I've got you know, the beginning and at least some of the middle. Um, the end I still don't really have. I'm hoping that the end can be January, um, but... But we'll just see. We'll we'll end when it feels right. Um, and in the meantime, I am working on the book and I am writing. Um, and I really do hope to have at least some sort of a draft. You know, you can always change the ending. You can always add a chapter. You can always figure out what to do um, when you when you make those types of changes. But I think I know where I've start where I'm starting. Um, and at least part of the journey is now is now kind of on its way to being complete. Um, but we'll see what happens in January. I mean, I'm not going anywhere for the time being. You know, I'm not planning on leaving the poker world, um, you know, in the next year, probably in the next few years. And if I keep enjoying Sorry, for, the game. Sorry, for research reasons you're not planning on leaving or because <laughs> you just want to be in the poker world, you're now Maria Konnikova poker player? I think both. Um, I think the research stage is almost at an end. Um because I've done a lot, you know, I've, I've been in this world now for, for a little while. Um, and at some point I need to say, okay, I need to finish this book. I can't just put it off indefinitely and say, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, uh, try one more world series and see what happens then. So at some point, you know, as a writer, you have to make those choices. And as a journalist, I've had that problem in the past where, you know, I've overreported things and then I've said, oh, you know what, I just, I have to stop. I have too much. I'm just drawing a line and using what I have and crafting the story from that. And I think we're getting to the point where that's going to happen to this book and where I'm just going to say, okay, we're done. Now we're going to just be writing and finishing the book. Um, but that doesn't mean that the book is set in stone. Right. So the way that, that book publishing works is you have this year-long, basically, edit editing process where you have multiple drafts and you go back and forth. So in some ways, you know, I keep researching as I'm playing, even though I've already 
finished writing after I finished writing, um, because no one says I can't add or change certain things. Um, and so, so that's the research part. Um, so part of it is that I just love this world and I feel very passionately about it now. And I do think, you know, when I was saying that I want to shout from the rooftops that you should be teaching your five-year-olds to play poker, I do believe that. Um, I have come to see that poker is a tool that can truly help people make better decisions in other areas of life and look at life in a better way. I mean, it helps you with self-control, with emotion management, with people skills, with kind of being you know, stronger in very complicated situations. It's helped me on a lot of levels. And I think that it really can prepare kids to face the real world with a much better frame of reference. Uh, Maria, as you mentioned, the PCA TV shows have been airing and that's what we've been recapping over the last few podcasts. And sadly, we've just had the show which brought your main event journey to a close. <laughs> I am interested, though, in, in comparing the two events that you played out there in the Bahamas. So the national championship, which you won. And I mean, mm -hmm. even though you would think the national championship is going to be a smaller event, smaller buy-in. I mean, you had a pretty tough final table lineup with the likes of Harrison Gimble and Chris Mormon. But did you find that the style of play, that the type of tournament it was, did you notice a big difference between the championship and the main event? Um, you know, I did for, for a while. So at the beginning of the championship, um, it was definitely easier in the sense that there were that there were weaker players in the field because the, the main event is a $10,000 buy-in. Um, so a lot of the players who would play the championship don't play the main event. And I actually had a very, had sort of a skewed uh, main event experience because I ended up, the final table of the championship was late at night on the final day one flight um, of of the main event. So I actually had to max late reg. So I started the main event with 30 big blinds at the beginning of day two. Um, and that's a very different experience. So you just cut out all the early levels, all of the deep play, and you basically are entering a turbo and you have to get lucky, um, in the first few levels, even though the structure is pretty, pretty slow when you're starting with 30 big blinds, you still don't have that much playability. Um, and so in some ways, actually, the main event had a much greater um, element of variance for me than the championship, because in the championship, right. I could really pick my spots. I could be like, oh, I'm at a really good table right now, so I can really just play a lot and be aggressive and acquire chips. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm at a worse table. Now I can kind of sit back a little bit. I, had, I could make those types of choices and adjust my play. When I got to the main event, it was like, holy shit, 30 big blinds, all good players at my table. I need to get lucky. Um, and luckily I did. Um, so I ended up doubling up twice in, I think, the first level. Once when I flopped a set against top pair. Um, and then I ended up waking up with kings in the small blind after there had been um, a raise in a three bet. So I had just two you know, very, very lucky spots. Um, and so doubled up twice and then had a very healthy stack and then could actually go back to playing normally. I think it was on day three that you were on the secondary feature table. And as we got close to the bubble on day three, we saw a few players, in fact, players across the room. But there were a couple of players, particularly at that table, who were, how can I put this politely, stalling. stalling. <laughs> um, and, and I, they were taking their sweet ass fucking time. And, and I could tell. I could tell you are clearly not the type of person, Maria, who is easily rattled. You are not the kind of poker player who goes on tilt very easily. <laughs> but 
your cool veneer <laughs> was being cracked yes. away and we could see that you were like for fuck's sake fold already it was in I, your eyes oh my god well i'm so glad they didn't air the, that entire table because i was that bitch who called the clock on those guys every <laughs> single hand and i actually announced it to the table that's I awesome said, I said, I will be calling the clock on you after 10 seconds, every hand. And I actually, so before I did this, I actually called the floor over to be fair and asked if we could go hand for hand. And they said, no. So then I said, okay, fine. These guys are just taking an insane amount of time. Every hand, I'm going to start calling you every single hand. And they said, okay. So luckily that was all edited out, but I did not come across very clock. Well. <laughs> no, I just, trust I me. Deal- Bear in mind, we are people who, like the viewers, are watching this as a spectator sport, in inverted commas, and we love it when the clock gets called <laughs> because it means that we don't just have to sit on a close-up of a guy just literally counting to 30 in his head, yes. knowing full well that he's going to fold 9-4 offsuit. And you know what? I don't know if you noticed, but one of the guys at the table, Patro, who kept stalling, he was the Queen Deuce offsuit guy who tried to um, bluff me out of the tournament the day before. Wow. Um, so, so it was very, very funny to find myself at his table. See, um, I can't wait till Maria is such a grinder that she's the one stalling. Like 10 <laughs> years from now, she's like hasn't had a big score since the first year. She's like, I got to get to the money here. <sighs> never, never. If you ever see me stalling, you are allowed to hurl any obscenity at me. Uh, and I will deserve it. And you referenced already that you made a couple of big hero calls on day three, which took you through to day four. But I guess that's where things kind of just didn't go the way that you wanted them to. And day four is a day when we often lose uh, a lot of the yeah. fan favorites, where we lose a lot of the big the names. The graveyard. Yeah. And <laughs> we, we obviously lost the qualifier we were following, Gledeby Brito. We lost the Ulsians, that great mother and son mm-hmm. partnership they've been following. And then you went out as well. And that's when... There was a real turn in the tide, and then the pros really, really started to dominate the PCA main event all the way through to the final table. But you get to do it all again next year in the Players' Championship. So what specific preparations have you been making for that? Is it just a lot of conversations with Eric, or have you been playing higher buy-in events to get yourself ready for it? Um, Both. So I've been studying harder with Eric. So whenever he's in New York, um, I force him to study with me. I actually forced him to get PO solver so that we could run Sims together. Um, so, so that, that has been helping. Um, and I, you know, last, this time last year, I don't think I really, I knew what PO solver was, but I was like, I am never getting PO solver. And now I use it very regularly to try to figure out, you know, what I should be doing in what situations. And yes, I actually have been playing higher buy-in events just to get ready and to see what it feels like. So I played my first ever um, 25K um, in Monte Carlo. It didn't go well. Um, I busted on the first day and it hurt. You know, I've never busted a 25K before. That's, it's a really horrible feeling. I didn't realize because I'd never, I'd never played that. And when you see someone like Eric, he's like, oh, you know, it's a 25K. For me, I was like, it's a 25K. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, and, but I think that that was really, really important to just completely get out of my comfort zone, um, and realize, okay, this is what a 25 K feels like. And to realize, you know what, this is just a normal tournament and it's just, it has good players. It's like getting a bad table draw in a main event. And I had one of those, um, I think it was actually day four of the PCA where I got to my table and it was like David Peters and Adrian Mateos. 
And I just, I don't remember who else was at my table, but I looked at yeah, it. That's enough. Thought, I mean, just those two is enough. <laughs> One's going to be on <laughs> one or both of them are on guaranteed to be on your left. So exactly, exactly. And it's usually Adrian and Adrian on my direct left is never, never a good situation, but you learn a lot. And I actually, you know, I actually really enjoy those situations because part of you says, fuck, I'm going to be out of this tournament. But the other part of you says, this is such a good chance to observe the best, see how they play and learn from it. Because sure, I can watch them on streams. I can pause those streams. I can dissect their strategy. And I do try to do that. But your brain is going to learn it much better when you are in that situation where you're forced to make those decisions against them. Then you can really feel it. And then you really internalize what it is they do. And to me, actually, something that's incredibly helpful is to figure out, okay, what situations do they put me in that I hate? And how do they do it? What did I do to put myself in that situation? And what did they do? And what I want to do is try to avoid playing in a way that gets me in that situation. And then also see, okay, can I do what they did to me? Can I do that to someone else? Can I pull it off? Um, and so you actually start, I think that's one of the ways that you can really improve. Are you so, going to tell us how to do this in your book? <laughs> I will potentially tell some of it. Um, but I need I think, to know! <laughs> but, but I think, you know, it's that's one of the things that's so fascinating. It's a huge challenge, and I actually... Um, you know, there's part of me that loves playing with those guys and having lineups like that, because then you really get to see what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. There's nothing that shows you your limitations quite like actually playing with the best players. And you say, oh, OK, you know, I was pretty good in the 1K field where I didn't recognize anyone at my table. But this this is real poker. And now I see this puts me right back in my place and I can see exactly what I need to be working on. And it's really inspiring. Um, So situations like that are definitely things that prepare you for the 25K. Well, bless you for being able to see those situations and learn from them. I don't think I would learn anything from playing basketball against LeBron James. I think I would just get... (laughs) The shit kicked out of me, and I would learn absolutely nothing. I can tell you this off the bat without you needing the experience that you are too short. I'm going to lose, yeah. So, Maria, I, I, we're, we're almost out of time with you, and uh, I have about 10 million more questions I'd like to ask you, so hopefully we can talk okay. to you again sometime. Uh, but unfortunately, we have to save the last few minutes for one of my classic stupid games. Are you ready? I'm ready. This game is called Booking the Action. And it's a quiz on some of the poker books and authors that have come before you. Are well, you this, ready? This actually sounds like quite good fun. I am going to fail this, aren't I? Well, they're multiple choice questions. Okay, okay. And you seem reasonably intelligent, Maria. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have high hopes for you. Here you go. Question I have number. Hopes. <laughs> question number one. In the poker book, the professor, the banker, and the suicide king, who is the suicide king? Is it A, Howard Letterer, B, Doyle Brunson, C, Chip Reese, or D, Ted Forrest? So I actually have not read that one, but I'll go with C. C, Chip Reese was the uh, was the decoy answer. It's in fact uh, D, Ted Forrest. Great book, by right. the way, if you do get a chance. Uh, I do want to read it. I actually have it on my shelf. That's the one that I keep meaning to read. So the moment you said it, I was like, I'm screwed. I knew I was going to be screwed. Well, hopefully you get. Uh, hopefully you don't have the same story for the next six questions because then you'll have lied on this one. <laughs> Question number two: 
In the poker book, Positively Fifth Street, the first poker book it. I ever read, actually. <laughs> That's what made me fall in love with poker, to be honest. What is the name of the publication that sends Jim McManus to Las Vegas to cover? Harper's. Harper's. I know this one. Harper's Bazaar is correct. Doesn't even need the choices. Boom. Question number three. In the poker book, Ace on the River, what does Barry Greenstein recommend you do before bed so that you'll be more rested and more focused on your play? Oh, God, I haven't read this one. Let's, let's see it, how I do. Is it A, transcendental meditation, B, listen to classical music, C, have sex with a traveling sex partner or suitable substitute? What? D, read a chapter from his book. Oh, I really hope it's C, and then I will I love mean, Barry I, Greenstein I, I, forever. I have to say, I, I'm going to have to say C just because I really want to <laughs> say C and see what you say. C is correct. Is it really? <laughs> he says it helps you to be less distracted, and if your partner can't travel with you, find a suitable substitute. Many oh, politicians and athletes' wives have grown accustomed to this, but <laughs> poker players haven't reached that status yet. Oh my I'm, god. I got it right. I can't believe I got it right. Barry basically, Barry, says, Barry basically says conversation. Yeah, he basically <laughs> says to cheat on your partner. Question number <laughs> wow. four. Wow. In the poker book Molly's game, how did the character of Houston Curtis originally make his fortune? Was it A from producing backyard wrestling videos? B producing pornography? C, producing bum fights videos, or D, producing infomercials? God, I don't remember. Uh, let's say... Well, we're, we're on a sex kick, so let's say B. B is incorrect. I... It's actually backyard wrestling. That's ah. how it used to occur. And they went on to produce a bunch of Phil Hellmuth videos, an Ultimate Blackjack tour. I just remembered he was a producer, but that's it. So. Yeah, I don't know if he's backyard wrestling really producing. But, you know. uh, just very quickly, <laughs> while we are on a, a sex kick, one thing I, I have to take issue with you, Maria, is that you recently starred in the Human Lie Detector series where <laughs> you tried to bluff Daniel Negreanu. And uh, this is I true. believe you brought up the subject of Japanese tentacle porn. Nice! Which led to me making the mistake of Googling that on my work computer. Nice! So not only was I exposed <laughs> so to imagery glad. I did not want to see, but it raised a massive red flag with our IT Monsters department. are hot. <laughs> Question number five. And my you, just had, you just had to put that in there for people who didn't watch it, didn't you? I, I, if you haven't seen it, it's fun. Watch he actually it. had to put it in there because he's currently facing an HR flag. Uh, I see. I see. Yes, it's my fault. I did Thank you. That. There's the evidence. <laughs> Question number five. In Mike Mattisow's poker book, the title indicates he has done what to the devil? Did he move all in on the devil? Did he share a cigar with the devil? Did he check raise the devil or did he fold to the devil? Oh God, Mike Matosau wrote a poker book. <laughs> <laughs> it's an autobiography. It's a trick question. <laughs> I have not checked um, the spelling. <laughs> oh boy, um, I think I think we're gonna have to. Uh, I'm between all in and folding. Let's let's all in with the devil. All in is incorrect. The book is actually called Check Raising the Devil, huh. which uh, is kind of a cool title. I will give him that. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing horribly on this. Oh my god, you're doing I honestly. Suck. No, compared to other people on the show, you're still killing it. Last week, Andrew Nimi refused to even answer. He's like, I don't know. I'm not answering this. No. <laughs> to be fair, it's that fun. quiz it's was fun. substantially stupider. Yes, yeah, way stupider. Uh, question number six. In the poker book, Poker Brat, whose name does Phil Helmuth drop as someone he went to elementary school with? 
All of these people are from the great state of Wisconsin. Where Phil is from. Is it A, Mark Ruffalo, B, Heather Graham, C, Willem Dafoe, or D, Chris Farley? Um, A. Mark Ruffalo, The Incredible Hulk? Incorrect. It's actually D, Chris Farley, the late... Oh, that was going to be my other answer. Late, great really Chris was. Farley. Last question. All right. Let's, let's go out with a bang. Let's do this. Okay. In the poker book Super System... What does Doyle Brunson mean when he uses the term taxi bet? Is it a bet that leaves you just enough to take a taxi home? Is it a bet that's going to leave you black and yellow? <laughs> Is it a bet that's so bad someone needs to do you a favor? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> or is it D, a bet that takes you for a much longer ride than you needed and costs way too much money? Um, I'm going to say A. A is correct. It's a bet that leaves you just enough money to take <gasps> a remember, taxi home. I remember something from Super System. <laughs> Excellent. Maria, you got like three, right? Which is pretty good considering. You know what? And I would say I don't read poker books. I fucking write them. I don't need to know yes, what those what those yes. other jokers Can said. Can I steal that? Can I steal that? Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Maria, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And we look forward to following your journey. Uh, back to the Bahamas in 2019 for the Players' Championship. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'm looking forward to the Bahamas very much. Let's see how it goes. See you in January. See you in January. Poker in the ears. So remember, new episodes every Wednesday night on Channel 4 in the UK and Ireland. The following day, they're available for the rest of the world to see on the PokerStars YouTube channel. Of course, on Monday nights, Joe and I have been streaming on Twitch. We've got the Free Roll League running at the moment. This week, we had Game 6. <laughs> Fuck my life. It wasn't... You know what? It was annoying to have, like, another whatever happen, but... People took it better this time, I think. <laughs> the weird thing is, and there was one point where I just gave up. I'm trying to kind of lead the horse to water. And then I realized, because in real time, and bear in mind there's a, there's a 120 second delay on the stream. So I know that even if I'm giving like direct clues, even if I say it out loud, people aren't going to hear it for two minutes. And I'm staring at the lobby and I'm seeing, you know, you've come, we, we've come to know a lot of the regs in the free roll and the sure. home games. I see they're not in. But I do see, I'm watching the some, flags. Some flags, yeah. And I realize, well, all it takes is one guy in Eastern Europe to crack the code and work out what we're talking about here. And it just gets amplified. We're fucking on to you, by the way. We know who you are. We know that you listen. You're like the one guy that listens to the podcast. You speak English very well. You get it. And you're putting the fucking password up on your goddamn .ru free roll sites. And we're coming for you. I mean, that's... Fighting talk, Joe. There's absolutely no substance to any of it, but I like I like where you're at. Um, so yeah, so that's why I then just put it in the chat. I'm like, well, fuck it, it's out there. So that's why I completely concede, Joe, that total transparency. Screw it. The star code is Kid Poker, right? Kid I'm not poker. burying it anywhere in the po in the podcast this week. If you want the star code for the final two free rolls, it's Kid Poker. And to be clear, this star code will issue tickets to both games seven and eight both of which take place on Monday, the 19th of November. Our final two $500 free rolls. And I'm just going to give the passwords on the stream at the time when it's appropriate with no added numbers or characters. If you're in, you're in. And hey, do you know what? 
if it's a big field, if it's full of loads of people who are just mining the podcast for that information, which they're perfectly entitled to do, by the way, more chance to achieve KOs. Right. That's that's the one upside is that there's more people for you to knock out. Yes, of course, it's going to suck if the thing ends up getting won by some dude from Estonia that's never heard of our podcast, but we're doing our best, guys. Uh, if you want to check out the leaderboard, by the way, it's been updated and it's been published on the PokerStars blog. Should point out that for our final week, for those final two free rolls on Monday the 19th, there will be $50 bounties on J. Hartigan, Easy with Aces, and Spraggy, because Vincent Han and Benjamin Sprague will be joining us on the stream. Sadly, cool. Joe can't play the free roll because he'll be back in the States, but he will be part of the stream on Monday night, twitch.tv slash PokerStars, 7.30 p.m. GMTV, GMTV? GMT, <laughs> 8.30 p.m. CET, plus all the usual side events in the Home Game Club. Now, this is important because we're not doing a podcast next week, so please listen carefully. There is a second chance all-in shootout on Sunday, the 25th of November. And this is going to be open to everyone who's achieved five or more KOs during the eight-game series. Not me. You will not, I repeat, not be auto-registered for this free roll. Uh-huh. You'll be issued with a ticket, and you need to use this ticket for this tournament on Sunday, the 25th, at 9.05 p.m. Central European Time, 21.05 CET. Please don't miss out, because so many people did miss out on that... Uh, TV show free roll because a platinum pass will be awarded to the winner. This is going to be a couple hundred people, I think. Tops. Right? Who knows? However many show up at 9.05 on Sunday but the 25th. how many people even have five knockouts oh, now? Oh, it's a decent number and I reckon after the final two games it's going to be an even bigger number. Is it even 500 people? Well, as I said, if you go to the blog, you can check out the, the leaderboard. leaderboard. Right, yeah. Uh, so after six games, 298 players, just shy of 300. I reckon it could easily be 500 after the conclusion of game eight. So at, but at most, let's say every single person registers for that all-in shootout. Of You're course. not going to have a lot of people to fade is all I'm saying. Of course. Um, so join us on Monday night. Really looking forward to the conclusion of this. And I think it's fair to say, Joe, that the whole thing has been a learning experience. I, and <laughs> yeah, I think learning. if, you know, I, I'm happy the to... The same admit, way I learned to not touch a hot stove. I don't mind admitting that there have been mistakes along the way, but you've got to learn from those mistakes. And I think we do it very differently next time. I hope we can I do... hate this, learning. I, I hope we can do something like this again. But yes, I would do it very, very differently. Uh, something that we don't need to change is our Superfan segment because it's a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to this week. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. Before we get the Superfan on the phone, we got to talk about this movie. Okay, so we're continuing our series of five films that Joe Stapleton needs to see before he turns 44. Last week, we had Singing in the Rain. This week, we are discussing, and we have a quiz based on, one of the most important, widely regarded as one of the best, and objectively, one of the most influential science fiction motion pictures of all time, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which, Joe, you watched for the first time in your life in the last three hours. I finished it like a half hour ago, yeah. Wow, so it's very fresh in your mind. So it, you should crush this quiz, if nothing else. Uh, we'll see. If it's like, how many buttons were there on the right console? Well, I mean, that's the kind of shit fucking Patrick does. <laughs> Enough about Patrick. Let's talk I, about Kubrick. I, I want to make sure I understand even the broad strokes of this movie before we go into the quiz. Now, I'm not looking for quiz. I just want to talk about the movie. Sure. Okay, first because of all... I can't give you definitive answers. This movie is 
is deliberately yeah kind of opaque. It's okay. deliberately I don't get open it. to interpretation. And I'm not saying that's bad because I liked it a lot. But I feel stupid saying I liked a movie that I don't fucking get. Okay. So the film For one question. Right. Which I, I wanted to preface by saying I liked it. Is it a comedy? No. I mean it's a there there is dark humor in this film. The, don't get me wrong. The, now I can't tell if it came across like a comedy to me in some parts. Obviously not in other parts where the whole shit's going down with Hal. Not a comedy. Um but a lot of like the the symphony music and the the pacing and all that, I was like this. It's not meant to be a comedy. It's meant to be majestic. And bear okay. in mind that this is the first time well, that been, special effects of okay, that nature so have that's, been showcased. That was my next question was, is it so indulgent because it's meant to show you how painful space is supposed to be? Or is it indulgent because they had never shown anything like this before and they were squeezing every last drop of I juice out of it? I think it's a bit from column A and a bit from column B. I think in terms of the pacing, whether it's the Dawn of Man sequence or whether it's the sequences out in Jupiter or the voyage to the space station and then to the moon, Yes, it's how slow everything is in space. That pacing is deliberate. But also, yes, it's saying that look at this amazing special effects work yeah. that has man traveling in space. Effects work, which obviously, without which we would not have had Close Encounters. We would not have had Star Wars right. or any other science you fiction can, film you can, I can see the influence of, of every science fiction movie I've ever seen coming from this movie. And the, the product placement isn't like comedy. No, I don't think it's meant to be. I mean, okay. Pan Am was a major airline in the 1960s. You got Pan Am, you got IBM, you got Howard Johnson. You've you got, got the Hilton Hotel yeah. with its uh, space station. No, I just think it's meant to be familiar brands to a 1960s audience that this would be their iterations okay. in just over right. you know, 30, 40 years' time. Um, in broad strokes, the prologue, which I will absolutely agree is overlong, shows the moment where Ape became man. Now... In the moment when Ape became man, it's supposed to be when a man used to learn to use a weapon? That is the cynical projection. So okay. the black monolith appears. Yeah. Then this is where the film is clearly positing a theory that there is some force, be it divine, be it extraterrestrial, which has an influence over how our planet has evolved and how it mankind behaves. It kicks us behaves. to the next it, level. It's a signal that we have reached the next point on the evolutionary ladder. So at the point that monolith appears, a group of apes that touch it and somehow are affected by it suddenly go from being vegetarians to being meat eaters and realizing they can kill other animals. But clearly Kubrick's rather cynical theory is that at the point that ape kills ape, at the point that species kills its own kind for a reason that's not for survival in terms of eating, that's the point where man is born. When man uses that tool as a weapon and then you have that jump cut and it's never explained by the way which is a shame but the jump cut is from one weapon the bone in the sky to a nuclear missile or nuclear bomb orbiting earth a defense oh weapon. i didn't realize that okay exactly and then obviously we have the mission to the moon where they've discovered this other monolith and i believe it's said in the conference that this has been buried millions of years four beforehand. million years yeah. and I, the way i've always interpreted it it was it was a test it was almost like when you're ready, you'll find it. Exactly. And at okay. the point that it's discovered, it then starts emitting this high-pitched signal towards Jupiter, telling man that that's where you need to go, the launch of the Discovery mission. And then, obviously, we have the main plot of the movie with that mission and the computer that has an utter meltdown, breakdown, and So, again, and I know that it's open-ended on purpose, but are we supposed to believe that these are coincidental things? 
that the computer has the meltdown or that this alien god force has something to do with no, it? No, I don't think that is. I think that is a separate commentary about man's over-reliance on technology. Okay, so and it really is just a computer error. I mean, I think it's explained in the follow-up novel and in the follow-up movie, which is terrible, by the way. Do not watch the sequel. Oh, there's sequel. a sequel to the... There's, I knew there were book sequels. Yes, there's book sequels, and there is a film sequel, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which really just just don't... Pretend it doesn't exist, people. Okay. It's um, like The Lost World. And obviously, at the point that Hal has that breakdown, at the point that then they arrive at Jupiter and they get the message of why the mission was sent out there... Dave Bowman, the last surviving crew member, discovers this huge monolith floating in the atmosphere of Jupiter, which he flies into. And again, we have another sequence which is massively overlong and self-indulgent, the Stargate sequence, yeah. at which point he becomes imprisoned by whatever this force is, be it divine, be it extraterrestrial, and surrounded by clearly a projection of his own imagination, which looks like a kind of uh, antique hotel room, yeah. is imprisoned. And in those jump cuts, we see him live out his life, possibly in an accelerated form, and reborn, reimagined, take this new species, this star child, which clearly will be our future, whatever that may be. Okay. Because Got whoever it. our architects are, whether it's an alien force or some form of God, it's decided that we must now become something hopefully greater. This big-eyed baby that comes yeah. back to Earth. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> fine. I love Joe Stelter's analysis. It's fine. It's fine. No, no. This, I thought this movie was very good without even really understanding it. And I think that what I liked best about this movie, I know we got to get to the call soon, but what I like best about this movie is that this movie, Stanley Kubrick is really good at this. This movie's made in 1968, right? It's made in 1968, and it could have easily been made in 1995. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, things look a little bit better now than they did in... In this movie, of course, but and also this movie, the, the fashions you, and styles of the time are there. Yeah, and, but but in general, like just the crispness of it, and the the just the composition, and just how gorgeous and clean it is, it it doesn't look like an old movie. And I think that's that's my favorite thing about it. Joe, I'm so glad you didn't hate this movie because had that happened. It would have made it very awkward for me to continue this podcast, let alone our <laughs> no, long-term I did, I did like working this movie, relationship. Yes. Uh, let's bring our super fan into the conversation. Let's welcome to Poker in the Ears, Mr. Jonathan Eager. What's up, Johnny? Greetings from Canada. John, what do you think happens at the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is a question I was not prepared it's to okay. ask. It's okay. I'll tell you what. Just to be fair. You, you well, well, you've blown it. That's the tiebreaker. Right. The tiebreaker <laughs> is you have to give. What does the movie mean? In 150 words or fewer, <laughs> your theory on the ending. So anyway, I, just so you know, I, I fully admitted moments ago that I have no fucking idea what the, what most of the movie means. So don't be embarrassed. All that's right. That's your answer. Well, it, it was my first time watching it. So when... Um, James brought it up as one of the potential topics. I hadn't seen it. So I thought it was a good excuse to kind of revisit it. Same. I remember when I was about 19, I tried to watch it, and I don't think I got past the first 20 minutes. Same, dude, I, except I was like 12 or 13, but I had the exact same experience. Yep. So anyways, uh, having watched it now, I can genuinely see why it is uh, so well talked about. Just I was blown away by the quality of the sets, and even the special effects have really held up over 50 years. It's really quite incredible. I just got done saying the exact same exact same it's thing. It's so buddy. bizarre. You both agree, which is fantastic. I'm loving both of you. Uh, Jonathan, you are the eager beaver who's been playing in our free roll league and home games. That would be me, yes. 
Wait, is that his screen name, Eager Beaver? Yeah, that's my screen name. I just want to thank you guys for uh, hosting these because they've been a lot of fun, like listening to the podcast every week, um, following you guys along on Twitch while the games happen. I've just been looking forward to Mondays, which is, it's been fun. So on behalf of everyone, I just want to thank you guys because it's been, it's been a lot of fun. You're welcome. We're never doing it again. <laughs> uh, I can't believe someone has a name that references a vagina and I haven't noticed it. I honestly don't even think I've sat at a table with Eager Beaver. Oh, Joe. Um, Jonathan, I can't help but notice that your uh, avatar on Skype is you and your lovely lady standing below the bridge suite at the Atlantis Resort in the Bahamas. Oh, I want to see. I'm assuming, therefore, that you have been to Atlantis, and I'm going to posit a guess as a poker fan that nice you might lady. have been there for the PCA. I was. So um, my wife and I, we have two kids, a 13-year-old and a 5-year-old. A few years ago, you know, once they start getting a bit older, you have a little more time for yourself. So I decided to get back into poker. And this is before I knew about Twitch or before uh, poker was popular on Twitch. So for me, the best way to learn was to go on YouTube and just watch all the poker content I could. And of course, the EPT coverage makes up a large percentage of that. So, um, yeah, so after, after learning as much as I could, I started trying to win some satellites to EPT events. And I was fortunate enough a couple years ago to turn $2 into a full package to the Bahamas. Hey, nice. the beaver package. Yes. So uh, that was when it was branded the PokerStars Championship Bahamas. Yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> I can put that anymore. I thought it was pretty cool to be like involved in the first year of the rebranding, and then later they changed it. And yeah, I'm like, oh. yeah. I, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. It's was always that been the, the PCA. same year as the other thing we don't talk about? Because if they happened during no. the same year, that would have no, been that great. that was the year before. <laughs> we could have completely just wiped a year every off the record year, books. Every year there's something in the Bahamas <laughs> that we never talk about ever again. I'm glad you got to experience it, Jonathan. Obviously, in this quiz, we're going to give you the opportunity to win a PCA satellite ticket and an EPT Prague satellite ticket. Uh, before we move on to that quiz, I have one more thing I want to say about the movie. Um, and when we were doing the stream on Monday Night Joe, we referenced the fact that Stan Lee... Uh, we had the news that he died yeah. that day. And also Douglas Rain, who was the voice oh, of Hal, yeah. who was deliberately the most human character in that film, even though he's the artificial character. And clearly, actors like Keir Dullier were told to very much downplay their Is role. Is he Dave? He Keir was Dave okay. Bowman, yeah. They were told very much to downplay their performances because Kubrick wanted Hal to be the character that the audience would actually relate to. Got it. Interesting. Hey, you guys got 60 seconds. I got a, a story about uh, Stapleton I want to share. Oh, I guess. I guarantee you, Joe is never, ever going to say no to any of the minutage of this podcast actually, not being taken up by anecdotes about himself. I'm a little worried, but go on. So, Okay, so when I was in the PC, obviously, after watching all the coverage, I wanted to meet you guys, right? So I looked for you all week. I didn't see you, but I knew Joe would be at the final table announcing the, the finalists. So after he announced them, uh, he was about to run off, I guess, to go do commentary. So I asked for a photo, and of course, he obliged. And uh, so as we're taking this quick selfie out of my peripheral vision, it looks like he's giving me the middle finger. And I'm thinking to myself, you cheeky bastard. So after we take the photo, uh, he says to me, hey, send me that on Twitter. I'll post it on the air. And I think my exact words were, you're going to put that on the air? Because I'm thinking, you know, he's giving me the middle finger. Why would they put that on air? So after he leaves, I look at my phone. And he was, of course, not giving me the middle finger. But Joe, you got exceptionally long fingers is what I have to say. Sorry, I was, point I was just pointing at you. <laughs> you were pointing at me, basically saying like, Check out this guy. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to open. I do have long, dexterous fingers, by the way. The sealed envelope of questions that Patrick has compiled. I'm going to keep it simple this week, and we're going to go. Um, we're going to alternate one to two. Now, 
Joe, I know you feel that you get screwed every week. So actually, I don't get screwed. I just get unlucky. Okay, well, let's. Normally, that's because I let the super fan pick whether they're <laughs> going to go first or second, or I let them pick the first question. So I hope you don't mind, Jonathan. But what I am going to do is I am going to let Joe decide whether he wants to go first or second. I'm going to let Jonathan go first. Okay. So, Jonathan, <laughs> you get question number one. The standard rules apply two points if you don't need the multiple choice options, but one point if you have to take the option. Question one relates to a scene on the space station, the Hilton Hotel orbiting Earth. How much is Dr. Hayward Floyd charged for the video call to his daughter? I knew this question would come up, so it is a dollar seventy. It is. Fuck. You see, Stanley Kubrick not only invented Skype, he also invented the iPad. I don't know if you noticed, but Frank and Dave are like watching the BBC on their iPads on board the. Uh, on board the Discovery. I'm so mad I knew that one. Okay, let's see if you can get this one then, Joe. When Dr. Floyd first visits the mysterious monolith on the moon, how many explorers are there in the group, including Dr. Floyd? There's at least four. One, two, five. I'm afraid it's six. There were five of them posing for a picture, but there was the other one uh, taking, taking the picture. The picture. Uh, question number three, which is your question, Jonathan. What color spacesuit is Dave Bowman wearing when he goes to replace a supposedly faulty unit outside the ship? I'm going to need the multiple choice, please. Is he wearing a red suit, a white suit, a blue suit, or a yellow suit? I'm going to go with red. He was wearing a red suit for one point. Bonus question. What is the name of the unit that Hal tells them they need to replace? I know it's some type of satellite, but I'm not going to know the exact name. Sorry, bad memory. Joe, you can steal for a point. AE-35. It is. Now, tell me, Joe, why do you remember that so clearly? Why does it stick in your memory, apart from the fact you've just watched the movie? I don't know. Do you remember when you used to leech off my Wi-Fi at live events? My little uh, mini router? What was it called? AE-35. It was called AE-35. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joe, it is your question. What color spacesuit is Frank Poole wearing when Hal does he wears yellow for two points? All right, here we, we have go. A tied game. And I'm going to give Jonathan the metaphorical middle finger in this quiz. <laughs> uh, bonus question, Joe. On which day of the week was Frank due to hear from his parents again? Wednesday. It was. The classic line, see you next Wednesday, which appears in every single John Milius movie as a tribute to 2001. Oh, huh. Uh, that was just a hashtag fun fact. A nice easy question for you, Jonathan. Question five. What number computer series is Hal? We're talking 9,000? We are talking 9,000 for two points. Joe, your question. Who is Hal's instructor? Who is Hal's... Oh, that's a good question. He does the little, the little biography of himself. I'm going to need the choices. Was it Mr. Wilson? Mr. Carson? Mr. Langley or Mr. Watmore? I'm going with Mr. Carson. It was Mr. Langley. Jonathan. What's the score? Uh, at the end of that round, Jonathan has five points. Joe has four points. It is close. I'll take it. It is close. Has they won I've won maybe three times total in the last two I and a half years. I think it might be more than that. but No more than five. The pressure is on. Okay, Jonathan. It's another question about how. How many times does Hal say the word afraid when he's being deactivated? Ooh. Multiple choice, please. Two, three, four, or five. 
Let's go with three. It is three for a point. Well done. Oh, Joe, you get an easy one. You see, you don't run bad every day. What song does Hal start to sing as Dave shuts him down? I don't know the name of it. I can sing it. Uh, give me the choices. Really? Just say the first word. Daisy? Is the name of the song. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to deprive you of your two points. No, just, but give, also, me the one, just give me the one point. I asked No, for it's more exciting to have a tied game right, going fine. into the final round. Stop complaining. Okay, these two are quite tough. And that's why, if you want to go for it without the choices, I will accept it within a certain margin. Because they're, they're numbers. So, Jonathan, the movie is 149 minutes long. That's one minute shy of two and a half hours. How many of those 149 minutes are completely dialogue-free? I'm going to have to say... Can I ask a question to clarify just for Jonathan? Because I don't know if they're different versions of this movie. But you know there's like an intermission, right? Is that there is just to be clear, you also have the um the overture, the intermission, and the playout music as well. That is included in the 149 minute running okay. time. Because I wasn't sure if maybe some versions don't have that intermission. That'll be the but... 139 minute version. Aha. Uh -huh. Alright, so I have to guess here. Absolutely no dialogue. You don't have right. to guess, you can take the multiple choice options if you so desire. Yeah, let's go with that. Otherwise, I'll be just shooting in the dark here. Okay, your options are well, 66. Most, most, of the, most of the movie's in the dark. Here you go. Here are options. 66, 77, 88, or 99. I'm going to go with 99. It was 88. Which is still pretty... How do you even calculate that? Because are they ta counting pauses in between lines as well? I think they're talking about generally Junk, scenes. Chunks that are that, of yeah, time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Joe, your question. According to the production team, the total amount of footage shot was much longer than the final length of the okay. film. No shit. Approximately how many hours worth of footage did they shoot but not use? It's a tie game right now. It is a tied game. Multiple choice options are available. How many hours of footage? How, how many minutes of footage? How many hours? Or how much time? What was the question? How many hours worth of footage how many hours? was okay. shot that was not used? Okay, again, I need to ask a question to clarify. Are they counting, like, multiple takes of something? I imagine so, yes. And bear in mind we're dealing with Stanley Kubrick here. 200 hours. You could have taken the multiple choice options. That's okay. He shoots for the moon and he misses. 497 <laughs> wow. hours. So here's how the tiebreaker works. It's very simple. The tiebreaker question goes to the superfan. It goes to you, Jonathan. If you can get the question correct, you win. You can't. Are there multiple choice or no? You have to get it right away. You have to get it, and I think you should be able to get it if you've recently watched the movie. What is the connection? What connects Frank Paul and Dr. Hayward Floyd's daughter? I haven't a clue. Let's okay, guess. Okay, I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to give you a clue. What does Dr. Hayward Floyd say to his daughter as he signs off, and what do Frank's parents say to him when they sign off? Sorry, gentlemen, I, I, have, to, I have no idea. Okay, I'm going to give you one final clue. Happy birthday. Oh, so they're related. Have a good day. Happy birthday. I can't give you a clearer clue than that. What are they both celebrating? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yes! Yes, he got oh, it! Oh, well done, and he didn't need any help at all. My goodness, I... Oh, Fuck, I lose again. God damn it. <laughs>
Dr. Hayflew Owen Floyd wishes his daughter a happy birthday. And of course, Frank's parents have the birthday cake in the video message. It's just one of those coincidental things in the film that I don't think actually bears any relevance to the wider narrative or themes of the or film. Or does it? Uh, Jonathan, you've been a great sport. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We will give you an EPT Prague satellite ticket and a PCA satellite ticket. Thank you for your time. Thank you kindly. We'll see you on Monday, I guess. Yes, you yeah, will. See you, Jonathan. Bye. Take care. All right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Before we get out of here, though, producer Ben, nerd alert. Producer Ben, fortunately, was listening in on that last segment and picked up a mistake that I made. Maybe the first one ever. Who knows? Do we have it? Is it? Do we have the Hardigan mistake alarm? Is there anything (laughs) I can possibly play? No, it's not good enough. That'll this do. needs to be That'll celebratory. Uh, it is John Landis, who is the director, who references the line, see you next Wednesday. What? Not John Melius. The reason why I got confused <laughs> is John Melius, of course, made a movie called Big Wednesday, which is why the whole Wednesday connection confused me. John Landis sat behind me in the movies once. It was awesome. That's uh, Star Trek Three. Cool story, bro. Uh, <laughs> Joe, no podcast next week. It's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. You know why? It's, it's no religion involved. It's for everybody. It's for all Americans. I mean, Christmas is largely secular these days. Uh, we are going to be taking a one-week Maybe break. Maybe at your house. I think in the UK it's a lot oh, less. Oh, yeah. No, at my house it's very Jesus-y. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, a one-week break, meaning we are back on Thursday, the 28th of November. All right, excellent. And uh, so we'll have a couple of Platinum Pass winners to yep. announce when we get back that The week. winner of the Free Roll League and the winner of the All-In Shootout on Sunday the 25th. Excellent. And we're going to have a Platinum Pass winner guest on the show, Nathan Manuel. This guy really, really, really wanted a Platinum Pass bad, and he got one. This is the guy who was chasing Platinum. Oh, I'm chasing Platinum! Uh, <laughs> he was running around the world trying to win a Platinum Pass. Now, Nathan is going to be actually filling two slots on the show. He's going to be our guest. He also... Is going to be our super fan. He'll be filling the slot in my heart that I need my ego to be filled all the time. So what am I watching for super fan? I think you've already seen The Fifth Element, right? I have seen it, but it's my girlfriend's favorite movie. Well, in that case, a chance to rewatch it. Correct. Uh, yeah, so uh, Patrick will be exposed to Luke Besson's The Fifth Element, and the quiz will be about that film. Exposed Ooh. to the elements, all five of them. Hey, guys, subscribe, like, comment on the show. Give us some clicks. Give us some love. Say some nice things about us. Maybe when we get back in a couple of weeks, we'll we'll crack the algorithm. We'll be the number one podcast on iTunes. Huh? Think about it. All right, guys. That is all the time we got <laughs> for this week's show. For a couple of weeks. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>